Today on Roaming, we meet a man who's defied all the odds. Kennedy Adede was raised in Nairobi's Kibera slum with almost nothing to his name. Today, he's one of Africa's best-known community leaders. Through his grassroots organisation, Shofco, he's helping Kenya's most vulnerable communities build their own solutions for better healthcare, water access and education. Welcome to Roaming, a podcast by Vodafone Foundation. I'm Natasha Dalton, Head of Engagement for Vodafone's philanthropic arm. And in this monthly podcast, we talk about technology for good, the power of human connection and the way lives are changed by networks. In today's episode, Andrew Dunnett, our director of Vodafone Foundation, speaks with Kennedy about overcoming adversity, making a difference, and the need for greater equality in the philanthropic sector. Kennedy, it's such a great honor to talk to you this morning, and, and thanks for taking some time out of your crazy schedule uh, to to just uh, talk with us on, on this podcast. Yes. You're no stranger to Vodafone and Safaricom. You know, we have supported your work uh, for many years, uh, both in terms of cash uh, and in terms of technology. Uh, and I think in terms of mentoring, uh, you know, one or two people in Safaricom have been very important to you and, and your uh, path as a leader. And um, maybe we, we could begin by just, you know, tell us a bit about, about Kibera. You know, you and I have been to Kibera together uh, and, and spent time there. Um, but uh, I think you once described it as 1.5 million people uh, living in an area the size of Central Park in New York. And, uh, you know, and th- this is your home. This is where you grew up. May- maybe start by just telling us a little bit about your background and an early life in Kibera. Thank you so much, Andrew. I'm really happy and humbled to be able to share our work and uh, my story with, with you and, and the rest of the people. Yeah, so you have to know that uh, Kibera is uh, attractive because uh, my family came all the way from the western part of Kenya. And it was a dull time, and they were looking for, for hope. And you know, the city attracts. So blindly they came, and they didn't find that hope they were looking for. They thought it was going to be a good job. There's not that job. So they end up in a place called Kibera, whereby really life was much more affordable compared to other places. So there we lived in a small, tiny room. And... Uh, yeah, it was my first time to you are seeing a lot of people at the same time you know what i mean so it was a very tough life and uh, from there my life started from kibera because of the environment that was there so my my father who was really kind of feeling hopeless and really started getting very angry which i understand angry as you know being a man surely an african man is that you're a provider and andrew now here you can provide there's all that job so he get into alcohol, abusive, beating, you know. And now my mother has to take charge, you know what I mean, of raising these kids. So so I remember I remember my mom, my I remember my mother used to make us put <laughs> oil in our lips because it was so dry. You didn't eat anything. And that tells you something about about pride. So you in your let me give you a good picture. You live in this ten by ten room. When you leave your house, you see a sewage. There was no toilets. And uh, at the same time, it was confusing because I could walk as a child and you see a lot of donuts being sold on the road, but you can't eat it. <laughs> I know what I mean? So, so life became really hard. And violence, something I won't forget was about violence. You know what I mean? It was 
I remember police killings, you know, these bullets were being thrown. There used to be this uh, fighting going on with the police and with other communities. So I grew up in fear. I really got really traumatized in a good way. And uh, yes, so at the age of 10, I now have to run away because of uh, the, the tough life that I could not be able to hold anymore. But there's no, what is the role of a family? is to provide food, to take care of the children. But there's nothing to do, do. So what do you do? You run away. So it's a really tough life growing up in that community. There's a friend of mine who also committed suicide. I think you know about mm-hmm. that. You know? mm-hmm. So now I tell you why this guy. So for him also, life was tough. At a very early age, him, he took his life mm-hmm. by committing suicide and writing on a note, which I remember very well. Enough is enough. I mean, mm. so you can see, you know, so life really pushes you so hard. You know what I mean, and up to now, I felt uh, very, very guilty. You know, you feel like maybe I was not there for my friend, but they, and we, we growing up in that slum, we were, we call ourselves, uh, we are hunting all the time. You can be hunted or you hunt. Mm. You know what I mean? So there's no time for each other, you know, and uh, and then the factory job. Why is factory job was important to me? Let's go back from there. So Andrew, your environment. Determ- can determine <laughs> who you will be or who you are. And I'm sorry to say that. So when we didn't have food, those who, who are having some food used to be get paid at the end of the month. At the end of the month, some of my neighbor work in a factory were making some meat. I, I used to love meat. Still, I have to be careful anyway. The meat, you know? And you feel like, <laughs> and like, oh my God, they are rich. You see? So, and this time to bring back again, that moment, there's no world of internet. There's no world of, you know, of seeing how the world look like. So for me, Andrew, those were the rich people. Are we together? Mm-hmm. Those are the people who are working in the factory, who are struggling by the end of the month, they can have a, a stew. And I'm like, wow, smelling. When I grow up, I want to work in a factory. <laughs> that is the story. And then, and then after, after Calvin's suicide, okay, yes. something, something turned in you. You bought a football, yeah, with, I think it was 10 cents or 20 cents. And and you started Shofko, uh, I think inspired by his death is is what is is part of it. Um, just tell us a bit about that, and 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 and, and let's talk about Shofko because it is just an amazing story. Um, but but tell us how it grew, and then I want to talk about the water because every time I've been to Kibera and seen you and seen those blue water towers and and the life that water brings you know, as a symbol. I, I just want to come to that in a minute, but but tell us a little bit about the football and how Shofko and what it is and how it came from that one football. So, yeah, thank you so much. So, as you can see here, is that uh, I'm struggling in a slum. There is NGOs coming to save people, but nobody's saving me. Nobody's helping me. Uh, you know, so you still, you still kind of make me angry. And I see people taking pictures, they were there, you know what I mean? It, I really, it was really, it was really, it was gross for me. You know what I mean? Their work is to help people, people like me who are really, really poor, we're the poorest in our community. People tell you that, those who know me. You know what I mean? And yet, I, I don't see transformation in my life. So I feel rejected by the government who make us feel like what's why we live in a slum. And those who are working in Kibera who are coming here like, oh, we are the NGO, we have to support the poor. Why are you not transforming my life? <laughs> and here my friend Calvin is like, I'm done. But Andrew, to bring you back again on the street, I got really into, into books. And this is something that I would like to tell the readers, to the, the, the listeners, you love this. So when you are using kind of drugs, 
while on the street, all kind of drugs. And the, the drugs for me was a way to run away from my pain. But the moment I fell in love with books, books was a way also to run away from my pain. But it was a good running away. I love it. It was the best. So I could read this the story of Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm like, wow. You know, and the idea that, and that story for me, you can see this connection. The story of people, be, because you're black, you can go to this restaurant, you can go to school, you are a second class citizen. And Andrew, that thing really resonated with me. And it gave me a little bit of fire under my belly. Ah, I get it. Here in Kibera, because we are just so poor, if a police kill our people, there's no history, there's no story. We, you know, if we die from fire, no problem. But if people in the rich neighborhood, something happen, the investigation is open. You see? And I'm like, and Dr. King, this man just believed in the power of the grassroots. But I got confused. But this man came from a church. <laughs> so this man built this thing from a church in Alabama. I love this story. It was amazing. Through one this small church, something grew bigger than the church. Civil rights movement. Ah, that thing is very really powerful. So as this kid, I'm like, Kennedy, will I open my own church? Because I really, I was, I was, and Andrew here, truth be told, I didn't have mentors, I'll be honest with you. And I tell young people in the slum all the time, people that I meet, to ask me about mentorship, mentorship. You know, Andrew, I had to create my own mentor. And sometimes I could go sleep in the street and say, Dr. King, what could you do? And I feel Dr. King is talking to me. I know maybe I was crazy. I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. King, what could you do in my situation? And that really let me so now. Dr. King and the story of these great men and women, Rosa Parks, you know what I mean? Being in a bus and saying enough is enough, but not killing himself like Calvin's. So what happened here is that now Calvin's going and the story, inspiration from Dr. King, I don't have the answer yet because I want to do something. And this thing has to do with the people. So working in a factory and I being, being, being mistreated and I have to walk, walking from home to the factory, I would wake up early in the morning. And while I was working is when Calvin killed himself and feeling hopelessness, feeling abused. Even at the work, I was abused a lot by my supervisors. And then I saw a football. And I say, okay, Kennedy, what was happening to Dr. King? You know, Dr. King is my mentor. I'm not, not really, Andrew, just to be honest, I never met him, okay? <laughs> Or maybe in another life we met, who knows? But, you know, so right now I don't have, he's a guy I talk to. I talk to this man, Dr. King. Eh? What could you have done if you are the one born in Kibera? And then I realized that Dr. King, I realized that Dr. King used what they had. At that moment, Andrew, according to history, I read, the African American community was so much united in the Baptist church, in, that, in, the, in the church, okay? They could go there and pray and be as one. And that really, that was a unification for them. And through that unification, Dr. King emerged and gave the hope. So now I'm like in Kibera, what's the thing we love? So Andrew, we love football, soccer. Okay? And I say, you know what? Maybe Dr. King is talking to me. Yeah, you don't have to start a church. <laughs> in Kibera, everybody loves soccer. So my friend, I bought this soccer ball for 20 cents. Okay? And I'm like, yes, Calvin is dead. 
nobody else gonna happen like again if we had we will come together where we can share our stories and have that feeling of hope mm-hmm. life can be children so andrew that's how this the football the ball started as a movement and, and connecting i know it's a parallel but just to let you know in thinking of dr king with the church kennedy did with the ball and, and, and this thing has a symbol the church was a bigger symbol in the us the ball has a big symbol in my community. We could go sit and just watch and forget our poverty. So right now we are playing it and we are talking. And I say, guys, you know what happened to Calvin's? Could never happen again. We have to come together as a community. We're playing this soccer ball. And they're like, but Kennedy, how will you start an NGO? And I'm like, no. NGOs is for those people, outsiders. This is a movement, just like Dr. King. We know, you know, my mother taught me something called whoever wears the shoes knows where it pinches. That's mom. So I told them, those people, those people outside there don't know, they don't wear your shoes. So they don't know how it's feeling, you know? We are the ones wearing the shoes. We feel it, you know? So we're going to start our own movement and be there for each other so that people, so that people like Calvin's will never do what they did again. They could talk to us and we could help. And Andrew, a movement was started. It was called, I think it was called something, George, my friend George called it Kibera Stars. And then at that time, I was thinking like, ah, guys, you know what? This is a, this is a hope. It's a, why can't we think big? So we came with something, uh, uh, Shining Hope for community, which I love a lot. And then we started going, I love that name because I, I, because I was angry, whatever. And I, I, was looking, Andrew, I was looking for hope. I was really looking for hope, honestly. Something that can make me live for tomorrow. That for me is hope. Mm-hmm. So we go to the women who are selling fruits on the road and vegetables. Hey! Do you like the name sharing of communities? And they told us, no. Too many English. <laughs> too much English. And I cried. Oh, I still love it all. And then now we have to change this name because I knew it's going to be bigger than Kibera. I had that feeling in my belly. So I said, you know what? I'm going to change the name. I became tricky. I said, guys, let's play around. S-H-O-F-C-O. Let's go back. Shofko. We go to the women. Can you say Shofko? Shofko. Shofko. Is that good? That's good. I'm like, Done. <laughs> so that's how we be. that's up to now, Andrew. If you come to Kibera, I'll be honest with you. And yeah. say you're looking for shedding of a community, they'll be like, we don't know that. But if you say yeah. the word shofko, everyone will tell you where the shofko is. <laughs> and if you um if you fast forward, you know, yes. sort of uh, ten ten years, Kennedy, where you are uh, educating girls with the schools, you're uh, involved in health clinics. Uh, maybe the one I'd love you to touch on is is the water project. Um, and just explain, you've explained to me before how that came uh, to bear. And, and you know, it, the, the, the amazing thing is for those who haven't been and seen Kibera is, you know, you've got these massive blue water towers and these pipes going across Kibera because you can't go underground because you'd have to clear everything to build pipes underground. So you've taken them over. I mean, for me, it's just an incredible vision of uh you know of 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 what water is to all of us i mean we're all 70 percent water anyway uh you know as humans and 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 the fact that you brought this fresh well just tell us a little bit uh, uh about okay. how it came to you. it's an incredible project an incredible project so so so, so andrew i as a community organizer i believe in the idea of collective listening and collective solution so after having a clinic in a school for girls we were still getting sick from cholera and other waterborne diseases and we're like this is not possible so what, what what do we do now so 
in our in our town was talking we were like hey guys this is a problem we talk about the challenges of water and we're like somebody the, i won't like to use somebody i don't, don't want to take the credit but from the meeting someone say like if if you got to build this water we the pipes down here is sewage it is sewage and the plastics are, that they are using that's what we're getting sick so we're like what about the air? What about having something on the rooftop? I'm like, woo, we never thought about that. You know? <laughs> Can we try that? And then we're being told like, no, 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 no. The government owns the air. We're like, no, we're going to go for the permit. Let's look for it. You know what I mean? Let's go. Let's do it. And the power of gravity. So we're like, wow. So that idea came from there. And we're like, now this is not going to be clean. It's going to go through the sewage. It's going to be on top. You see a big tank that will have clean water and then we're going to use what's called the will be uh, will be built in a way that the gravity will take the water flowing to the water points right, right now we have almost 24 water points you know mm-hmm. and we have to make it sustainable that's our, our agenda nobody should suffer from from uh, from disease and water has been one of the you're right people now come i love this and to share with you it's giving me a lot of hope. people now coming from all over the world not to see the poverty of the people around us, but to see the innovation and the creativity of Kibera people. And like, can I take a picture of this thing, you know? Comparing to when people used to come, oh my God, they are so poor, you know? So I feel we've done amazing transformation with our community in Kibera, whereby now we are leading in water. We are the largest producer in Kibera. And right now we are working with the government to ensure that model is spread across the entire Kibera. Yes, <laughs> it, it's it's amazing, Kenny. <laughs> Maybe I mean I, I Shofka is an incredible, incredible movement um, uh, with incredible impact that it's having, and um, there are two people I think who've been really influential on you in the course of of you building this movement. Um, the, the first I think is your mother, because you've often talked about your mother, um, and you know she had you when she was fifteen. I think you had seven brothers and sisters. Um, and um, there's a couple of stories that you've told in the past that really spoke to me when I when I um, when I uh, when I heard them. The first one was about you know she taught you to wash dishes. I just <laughs> say a little. I mean that that just I think shows what an incredible woman she was. I just want to explain that story in the cultural context and everything. Oh God, that's a very interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what happened. So in our small, in our, in, uh, we call it a plot, Sakati plot, where I used to live in this neighborhood. So it was very clear that boys, and we believe it a lot, boys don't wash dishes. Okay, we go play, yeah. The is for, if you have a sister, that's their job. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so it was normal. So they grew up, uh, so mom used to force me to do it. I remember, but I used to do it in the inside the house. Okay, I didn't really argue much because your mother wash dishes. But I'm like nobody's look at me, so we do it in the house. So as I grow, it's like, hey, now take the dishes, wash them outside there. I'm like, mom, no, 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 I can't do that. You know what I mean? And I and I was forced. I'm like, you have to. I say, mom, my sister will do this. That's, I'm, I'm not a girl. Mm-hmm. And she like Kennedy. There is no girl, there is no boy. Okay? You're all going to do the same things. You know what I mean? And she did. She talked about gender equality in a way that 
made me think. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I think for me, that was the first time I was being baptized into feminism, if I'm being honest with you, okay? Whereby, and I look stupid, because I could be, I'd be like, mom asked me like, why is your sister have to wash it? I'm like, she's a girl. And mom is like, so what does that mean? You know what I mean? So, you know, so honestly, that was powerful. But but honestly, I would like to you, it was painful because yeah. the boys really laughed at me that day. They laughed at me. Oh, Kennedy is, a, is like a girl. You know what I mean? So, so my mom really instilled that value in me whereby we are equal. You know what I mean? And I think that's something that really built me as I started becoming an, an, a, a youth and a leader. You can see what I did first was to build a school for girls. You remember? That's what Shofko started. The first thing of Shofko was to build a school for girls. And uh, believing that uh, the inequality happening around us, that we have to do something to the to ensure that we, there's an equality. Yeah. So that's mom. That's how she is. Well, the, the other story that really moved me to tears, and I mean that genuinely, is, I mean, you were the oldest. With that yes. often comes a sense of responsibility for the family. There was limited food but she would make you open the door when you were eating. Uh, and I remember there's a sort of altercation between you and her because you wanted to shut the door so everybody in the family got food. Uh, what an amazing woman. She said, no, no, you've got to open the door. And if others need food, then they come in. And I, I was just <laughs> deeply moved by that. And obviously that sense of of giving back, of, you know, uh, even though you haven't much, giving was an incredible lesson you must have learned from her. And And again, was deeply impactful upon your work. Yes, so when, when, when food becomes scarce in these kind of communities, which is really sad that, uh, Andrew, that I'm, I'm sure many people in the UK will not understand this, that uh, you don't you stay days with no food, and when you get that meal, you really want to eat that meal. And now yeah. your mom and the other kids are looking at the door, want to come in. And I'm like, hey, no, we don't been eating for a long time, you know? And mom's like, what are you doing? No, no, open the door. You better share. Yeah? And these kids get in, and they—I was not—I was not—I was not very happy with my mom at that moment <laughs> because I've not eaten for long, and now you want to share what we have, and uh, it's really—it's really, it's really it, Andrew is really telling us a lot. If you think about my mother's story and other women and other people in the poor and underprivileged communities, you ask yourself, who are real philanthropists? No, no, look at this woman. This is what we have between us and death. Nothing else. Look at the world, what you have and what you are giving. I mean, so we are learning these lessons and it's happening around the world, I'm sure. People who are giving until, you know, there's nothing like we save this, I give you this 10% because I have 100%. Mom was like, this is less share. I mean, just because somebody should not go hungry and yet there is food. So I'm learning that. And I don't know my people that I meet are like, yeah, if we can be real, real givers. How, how 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 do we know when you're alive you're giving? And my mother believes this. I'll be honest with you. She's, she's, a, she's tough. She believes that if you're doing anything and you don't feel pain, you're not doing enough. <laughs> 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 up, up to date. Okay? If mom believes that, no, 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 no. If you, if, you're, if, you, if you, whatever you're doing, that you're not feeling like, ah, yeah? it's like, no, you're not giving. You have to give until you feel the pain. And then you know you are touching life. So that moment in that house, you can see that pain. Our me, I'm crying. I'm like, oh God, we got this food, and these kids are gonna all finish it here. 
and we don't know where the next food gonna come from. Anyway, I don't want to talk too much, Andrew. Thank you. <laughs> no, no. I, well, I, the, the 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 second the the second um, woman who's been incredibly influential, of course, is is Jessica, uh, your, your wife, and and your love affair and marriage became part of a New York Times bestselling book, uh, Find Me Unafraid, and and maybe just sort of um, summarize how that came to be. Um, because it's an extraordinary, uh, you know, extraordinary love story featured a lot in the media. And, um, you know, um, I think she's been very influential on you as well. So the way I met Jessica, she was a young person coming for study abroad programs. And she was unique because she was uh, coming. She, she, wanted, she wanted to keep, when, after meeting Shofko team, she was like, you know what, I don't feel good working with you and going and having a good meal, good house. Because I'm here, why can't I just move in to Kibera? And I'm like, Jessica, you are crazy. This cannot happen. Anyway, if you know, those who know Jessica will tell you that um, you don't, she doesn't listen, no. So she, she joined our family. She came to Kibera. But uh, something funny here. I think I really liked her. I really... I was in Africa, you can fall in love in a, in a minute, you know what I mean? A, you know, like, I love you, and I love you. And it, it's come from the heart. But in the Western world, because of reading my novels and books and understanding the culture, I knew that I don't want to mess up. So I kept quiet, but I'm like, I'm ready to say I love you. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> you say, you say you, I like you, blah, 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 all those things that Western people say. So, <laughs> and then, so one day I messed up. So one day, I hold her hand while we are walking. And she looked at me, why are you holding my hand? And I'm like, oh, Jessica, I'm very sorry, but in our culture, holding hand is a sign of respect. And she's like, oh, okay, 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 okay. You know, but uh, one of somebody who knew Jessica saw me and asked her another, another, another family from, from the from, uh, middle class. I said, I saw you holding hand with Kennedy. Yeah, that's what, oh, it's uh, African culture. He said, no, that's not African culture. <laughs> anyway, so to, make the, <laughs> so to make the story short here, we really became very close friends, and she really taught us more about theater. And uh, the first day I say I love you, if you are being honest, was I thought she was going to die. So Jessica got malaria. Mm. And was taken to the hospital, and she was very skinny, like a stick. Not not the American skinny, you know, the sick skinniness. Mm. Eh? And I'm like, she gonna die. And as an African man, if she dies without telling her my love, I'll regret. It for, I'll regret it forever. Let me tell her. So I went in her bed, and I say, I love you. And I ran back to Kibera that night. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> So that if she dies, at least she knows somebody. Mm. You know, they call me the mayor uh, by then because of my work. I said the mayor of Kibera. I've said, I've said it. I've declared the love. Mm. And uh, yeah, she's very important. Two women, my mother and Jessica, are really important because Jessica really mm. saw my talent and uh, we work very well as a team. And mm. through her is also how I got my, uh, my my scholarship that I went to the state, Wesleyan. Yeah. You know what I mean? We work together, and then she keep on really. Was interesting because Jessica brought in something different. So I am more organizer of the community streets. You know, she is, Andrew, as you know, she is very, very extremely organized. So she was a check and balance to the movement. You know what I mean, 
Mm. So far, we are a little bit sad. She has joined the girl effect, but uh, yeah. we still... <laughs> Which is amazing. I mean, it's in amazing. the sense that yes. you're both leading two movements. <laughs> two movements, yeah. One focused on, on slums yes. uh, and one focused on girls' education and empowering yeah. girls. It's, 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 an, it's an incredible partnership. Yes. And, and maybe just sort of turning to... I mean, you've talked a lot, um, uh, you know, about development. Uh, you've talked a lot about uh, publicly. You've written articles in New York Times and The Guardian in the UK. Um, you've talked about slum, slum dog tourism, you called it, uh, where people come, they take pictures, uh, nothing happens, nothing changes. Uh, you've also talked about, um, you know, how very... Uh, or, you know, I, I think one of the figures you quoted almost as little as 3% of humanitarian funds comes to organizations like yourselves. And uh, is that, do you think challenging that is a next part of your work and your mission? What, 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 um, what how do you feel about those issues? Wow. So, Andrew, as you know, what's happening around the world, there was a big thing shift that happened with the, the Black Lives Matter in the U.S., that really changed the SP of the world. And I think also because of COVID, it was also an eye-opener to see what's happening. So for, for many years, nobody wanted to challenge the system. As I talked about before, you see only 3% of the what really goes to the communities, you know, organizations like Shofco and others, uh, local, local organization. Don't get much. And is a, I'm sorry to say this, I have to be careful, but there's a colonial mentality and mindset on that of uh, you and also inequality happening there. So I realized that it's high time to talk about this. And I talk about this because uh, of the my life story. You see, I went through the class struggle in my country to build this movement. And I, when, I, when you think you're done, you go now, the organization start playing global and you see the race in philanthropy, you know, and the yeah. biasness that is there. And you are like, uh, just because you're an African or a man of color, you cannot be trusted. Mm. Okay? And you can speak. So I went through a lot as I speak to you now. I really went through uh, discrimination. Real. No, ah, you mean, whereby you're doing the same thing with other people, but you will not get funding just because of where you're coming from. You know? Mm. So... As Shofu is growing, I thought like other organizations will go the same thing. So I wrote this, and I wrote, you, uh, Andrew, it's the same thing that when my Islam tourism uh, thing that I wrote. It is us versus them in everything. So when they when I talk about Kibera, when people when people come, they see you as an object. You're not a human being. Mm -hmm. Your dignity has been dropped off by that take that picture. You we, we we cannot negotiate with you. We can't talk. You are just a picture. Okay. So, my brother, you see that again in philanthropy, whereby you are just a tiny organization that is based in Africa. You cannot be part of the piece of the cake. We have to look for somebody else to make sure that we support you, but, you know, you're not at the table. And I feel like uh, we can't keep quiet. We have to open up about this thing. And as I'm very happy with the foundations like uh, Vodafone Company and the foundation to come together and really find out what is the root cause of this. Because I also believe, Andrew, that I don't think people are bad. The thing we call whereby it's common sense, but you never ask yourself a question, why am I doing this? And for us to answer that, we need to do research and come up with, listen, it can't be fair that prospect leaders are the one, if you invest in a prospect leader, it's, for me, 
common sense. If I come to the to the to London in uh, underprivileged communities, and there's a community there that is tra- transforming their life there, it's a common sense to believe that those people, if I invest on them, the leader there, there'll be a, a ripple effect, <laughs> and the dollar, the, the the pound will go far. I mean, so what is that? You know, so what we are telling people like let's let's look for the data and see how do we change this system. Because uh, my brother, it's a system. It is really deep, yeah? Mm. yeah. That we need to dismantle. And I call. I know I use some really powerful words. <laughs> Sometimes I call it decolonizing development. Mm. The development has to be decolonized. We have to stop uh, saving people. Okay, nobody wants to be saved. But you have to start looking at communities and be like, what is the best in that community? I remember when some of your people and you went to. Refugee camp. Remember the story of listening and them coming with the solutions that you can fund. Remember the story? Yeah. It's very powerful, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah so do. those kind yeah. of things. And the same thing in Tanzania, if I'm very clear, where we're using these uh, matatu, these uh, small vans, you know what I mean? It's like, what do you want? This is a lack. Okay, how can we look at that? You know, because the challenge we're facing is that if you come with solutions from London, Europe, New York, my friends, wherever you are, zero work. The ground is different. You have to understand the ground first. And for us to succeed in development, we have to invest in the local leaders. Kennedy, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's lovely talking to you. I mean, it's a real honor. I, I think um, the, the last question I'd like to ask you is about Bob Collymore. Uh, Bob was a man who meant a huge amount to us in Safaricom. Uh, he was our CEO of Safaricom. Uh, I worked with him in Vodafone uh, for over 10 years. Um, and, and I suppose the, the the last thing is because I know you're very close to him and I know he mentored you and Jessica. Uh, and I suppose in sort of honor of his memory, what, what, what one or two things did you learn from Bob that you were taking forward in your life and work? Bob was a special man and he really believed in what our work and he was a mentor. One thing that uh, uh, Bob, one thing I love about many things, but things that really touched me about Bob was the way he does his business. I wish people could believe that. So, Andrew, Bob believed that uh, the best successful corporation or company is that is the one that cares about the purpose. Wow, for me that was heavy, and he really instilled that into Safaricom. Money will come itself when you're doing the right thing. Okay, and you can see what we have the Mpesa uh, Academy, Safaricom is doing amazing work in Kenya, and they do that. And it's really, it's really, it was a ripple effect, you know. So for me, and people are learning that okay, you can do business and still make profit, but a business with value. Mm-hmm. Safaricom really had a value, and Bob mm-hmm. really saw that. And that's another thing that uh, I really, he was. I don't know if you know him well. As uh, that one was a listener. You will go there, Bob will just listen to you. Will not tell you his ideas. First of all, he listens. And many leaders that I met, almost uh, 90%, you go sit with them, they know your problem. They know. <laughs> Andrew, they, are, they, they have the answers. You're going to see a CEO sitting down like this. Ah, why did you do that? Why, why we can do Mm-mm. Bob was like, yeah. And then Bob will challenge you back. Be like, and what do you think, Kennedy? Andrew, what do you think? Mm. You know? Mm. And then I'm telling him, that. then he starts asking you questions. I mean, and you end up figuring out something. So I think it really taught me listening. And the last one, 
we are all into our status. And we think we are so important. Because of position we hold in power. Bob will come and go to a slum. Bob will talk to anybody. Bob was people's person. It did not matter. Are you the president of Kenya? Are you the CEO of Vodafone? He will treat you as the same. And he had something I love this. I'm sorry to say this too much. On uh, in his office on every Friday, even the cleaner janitor will come to his office. You just sign, come say hi to Bob. I mean, that love that he had at treating people equally is something that I really learned from him. And uh, I will miss him, but at the same time, he is living through us because of the value that is still on us. Thank you. Kennedy, thank you. That's, um, it's lovely to talk to you. And um, we uh, look forward to continuing to work with uh, Girl Effect and with Shofco uh, and supporting you in the amazing transformational journey that you're on. So thanks for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Roaming, a podcast by Vodafone Foundation. And many thanks to our guest, Kennedy Adede, for joining us today. For more information about his work transforming lives in Africa's urban slums, visit shofko.org. You can also find his New York Times bestseller, Find Me Unafraid, in all good bookshops. If you'd like to learn more about how Vodafone Foundation is using technology to address some of the world's most pressing problems, then visit our website at vodafonefoundation.org.